when men think that they're the chosen ones, it's we woo carnage follows. <laughs> carnage follows. I watched the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> Welcome to week three of I'll Show You Mine, a weekly podcast about rom-coms and horror movies where two pals break down tropes, themes, uh, and our general reactions from these movies. And each week, I, Kelly, bring a horror movie and my pal Olivia brings a rom-com. This week, we are talking about two movies that are meant to be, if you will. It's all about, it's all about that, that fate, serendipity miracles so we're talking about the romantic comedy <laughs> serendipity as well as the sci-fi horror film nope okay so let's first i'll just give you the quick and dirty of serendipity which is funny because i have only seen it now pretty sure twice i mm-hmm. allegedly we watched it together i think we did but i must have blacked it out i don't know we probably weren't paying attention but you watched it a lot as a kid, right? Was it in your heavy rotation as a youth? Yes. I remember watching it a lot as a kid. I don't think I like had it. Like, I don't think I had the movie. I think it was just one of those that just came on TV a lot. Um, so yeah, I had watched this movie a whole bunch as a kid. I thought it was very romantic. I had a crush on Kate Beckinsale. I had a crush on John Cusack. I was having a good time in this movie. Um, I had, I've only watched it a couple of times in my adulthood, though. <laughs> And I definitely think that a lot of my love for this movie does stem from me watching it as a kid. <laughs> that's a big piece of it. Oh, uh, yeah, that's I guess that is important because I only watched it for the first time like a year ago. And it is different than if you watch it when you're like 10. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Our ideas of romance are very different when we're little children. We're like, wow, it's romantic. And as an adult, sometimes you're just like, um, no, it's not. <laughs> Call the law. Call the law. <laughs> that is a crime that's happening on the screen. Okay. So Serendipity is uh, about John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale. I don't want to say their relationship over time because it's not a relationship. They meet one random fucking December in the city in New York City. And then they just can't get over it for the next, what, five years? 10 years I don't know five years I think that yeah I think it's supposed to be I think it's supposed to be five years later whenever we meet them again so yeah it's like it's like the the missed chances or whatever kind of story um I suppose that is the plot of the movie I do (laughs) I suppose that is the plot because I mean really the whole first half of the movie is the that first random interaction they have Mm-hmm. so I guess you're really supposed to feel like they made a connection there is so much dialogue too I wrote in my notes I feel like I'm watching a Gilmore Girls episode like they were just going the whole time no time to stop and think like huh why am I going to have an ice cream sundae with a stranger that um, I met in a department store because we wanted the same pair of gloves uh-huh. you can't get gloves anywhere else in the city seriously is this bloomingdale's the only store in new york city yeah isn't the whole point of living in new york city that you can get anything you want anytime anywhere right you have to get your gloves here this is the this is the glove central yeah these Just- basic ass black gloves 
they're just gloves. They're just plain. There's nothing, nothing fancy. Yeah. Yeah. So the two of them meet in a department store by happenstance and I guess hang out for the night. I don't know. I feel foolish trying to describe this movie because I felt like the plot was foolish. Like, and yeah, again, basically they just fight over those gloves and then they like walk around, they eat ice cream, they go ice skating. I think that's pretty much it. John Cusack at one point draws a constellation on her arm. Oh my God. <laughs> Listen, as a kid who was very much like that kid of like, can I draw on you? I always had like pins and like Sharpies and shit and was making my little pen tattoos, like a little degenerate. And so, yeah, when I was a kid, I was like, oh my God, he's touching her arm. (laughs) That happens. (laughs) (laughs) Like I totally get, because I would have been the same way as a kid being like, oh my God. Like, this is like a thing between the two of them. But watching it at 30, I'm just like, ah, like, just what imagine, is happening? Imagine her getting home to her boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. imagine her getting home to her boyfriend. He's like, why is there writing all over your arm? She's like, nothing. <laughs> Fate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm whimsical. Yeah. They're, again, the the stereotype in romantic comedies that one of the main characters has to either be a bad romantic partner or a bad friend or both or have bad friends. And yeah. this definitely checked them. Bing, 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 checked them all. So the night's getting ready to end this first encounter between the two of them. And John Cusack, as a normal person would, would be like, I guess we're, we're going to have an affair. He doesn't say that, but like, I guess that's what they're mm-hmm. implying. He's like, I want to get your number. And she fucking writes it on this the teeniest little slip of paper that she can find like I feel like she found it on the ground it was like okay I'm gonna write it it flies away in the wind likely story likely story but then when she's like John Cusack's like just rewrite it and she's just like no I can't and he's like why why not you should have taken that as a no John you know end of movie Mm -hmm. don't need to push it because then she's giving you this weird like if it's meant to be it's meant to be it's like what can you imagine if someone really said that to you like in IRL in the real world in you one ask of the, for someone's those, contact information they're just like mm. <laughs> one of the most heavily populated cities in the world of just like cuz let's see so John Cusack wrote his information on the the money right and so he on like a, a bill like a dollar bill or something had his name and number and then her name and number she eventually puts inside that fucking book and so yes. it's like in this crazy populated city it's like maybe this money or this book will get back to you and it's like so really you're just saying you don't think it's meant to be because if you did yeah. you wouldn't be leaving it up to these weird things like I don't know it it definitely feels very like a woo-woo girl of like yeah like if we're really soulmates then we'll like float back to each other on a cloud and it's just like what do you want to see me again or not yeah it (laughs) honestly write your number in a a book and then sell it you can just tell me you don't like me (laughs) yeah and it kind of makes you uh, it makes me question John Cusack's character more than Kate Beckinsale's because like not only do you have a romantic partner at home that I guess you're out buying a gift for, but you're pursuing someone who is really kind of given the vibe that they're not interested. And you're just like, I guess I'll play along and ride the elevator up all these floors to see if I can find you. That scene was so stressful. That scene is so stressful. 
very strange. And again, I know I texted you while I was watching it, but why was that child dressed as the devil in the elevator? Because that kid was the devil. Like, I didn't think anything of it until I realized it's supposed to be Christmas time. And this child is like in a full devil costume, like uh, what's his face in Hocus Pocus when he's pretending Uh to be, you know, when he's dressed as the devil. Like, why? Very strange. It was, yeah, that kid fucking sucked. Um, Hated that kid. And like, yeah, that whole thing was just fucking stupid. Y'all just went to a hotel, okay? At this point, if my, like, if I'm in a monogamous relationship and my partner's like, no, don't worry, we didn't cheat. We didn't end up on the same hotel room or the hotel floor. I'd be like, oh, was that what kept you from, from cheating tonight? Yeah. This like weird, weird, whimsical plan. Yeah. Like, yeah. They both are very upfront that they have partners. She has a partner though. She's buying the gloves for herself. He has a partner and he's also buying the gloves for his girlfriend. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then of course the most unhinged part of the opening sequence that she had thrown him one of the gloves, effectively ruining the gloves for both of them. Yeah. Now nobody gets the gloves and they if any just have a single glove. Yeah. And can you imagine if you are if you find that glove and you think, oh, we should probably just get rid of this glove that doesn't have a match and your partner loses their fucking minds and is like, you can't get rid of that glove. Like, what the fuck? It's just so strange. Like now no one gets a gift. No one has each other's phone numbers. Yeah, exactly. Like for what? No one got what they want he- wanted here all because of these like weird things that you're doing but I mean I guess that often happens in rom-coms where like if people would just say how they really felt and just like go for it then like the movie wouldn't happen I guess but yeah would be whimsical but yes so that's the end of the first encounter and then it flash forwards is it five years it's something like that five years some years years, some years go by and (laughs) John Cusack is engaged to the woman who is it? I texted you about this too because I was like, oh my yeah. God, connections. Connection. Uh, the woman who plays John Cusack's fiance in the movie is married to Big in Sex in the City. And she uh-huh. gets fucked over by Big and she also gets fucked over by John Cusack. And she is mm-hmm. too beautiful to get fucked over by those two turds. I know. You know, Bridget Moynihan, that's her name. Okay. Honestly, it ended up working out for her though. It's probably it for did. the not with this guy yeah yeah she really won i think um so they're about to get engaged and it's a few days before the wedding and of course jeremy piven is his uh best friend from college slash best man gives the strangest speech slash boyfriend i honestly wrote that i was like so were they in love all through college and like like, what's going on here or it's oh, so funny when straight men do that, where they're like, ha ha ha, I guess you're taking him from me. Ha ha ha. He won't love you as much as me. And it's like, are you guys boyfriends? Yeah. Like Just that's fine. Yeah. Also. Okay. I have something embarrassing. I need to confess. I only find Jeremy Piven attractive when he plays gay. That's fascinating. It is fascinating because there was a moment where he like slipped into the really like shitty stereotypical gay guy that he does. And I was like, I don't know. I'm kind of into it. I'm not sure what that's about. It could be too that he's played that in other things that I've seen him in as a youth. So maybe it's like partially nostalgia. But yeah, when he like slipped into that uh, 
tone of his voice and like his mannerisms. I was like, now I'm into it. All right. A little bald mm-hmm. spot. I'm into it. A little short. <laughs> okay. So they have that weird wedding speech. And then we also get a flash to Kate Beckinsale, who is about to be engaged to John Corbett. But we also find out she's a therapist who shits on all the woo-woo stuff that she literally yeah. based this entire interaction with John Cusack on. Totally like, shuts her client down. Is basically just like that's fucking dumb, and it's yeah. just like, oh okay. You okay, need to okay. get your shit together. Feelings aren't real anyway. That'll be eighty five dollars, like for the ah. therapy session. Like very strange. She comes home, and John Corbett has just an absurd amount of candles lit in this apartment. Just a fire hazard waiting to happen. And then he has her open a box within a box within a box within a box. Again, with candles everywhere. Tissue paper is flying. I would be sweating. I would be (laughs) fucking sweating. Being like, where are you? I can't. It's hot in here. There's 75 (laughs) candles lit. I've just opened 16 boxes. I got to wait. Yeah. Like, what is this for? Yeah. Just for there to be an engagement ring in there. And then he like comes around the corner. It's empty. Remember? Oh, right. It's empty. And she's like, uh-huh. and I'm like, this is fucking stupid. And then yeah. she turns around and he's and he's like, you, or he's like, you only get it if you say yes. Well, that's lame. <laughs> Let me see it first before I decide what I'm going to do. That's important. Yeah. As we know from his character in Sex in the City. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Does he understand you? Wow. Anywho, um, John Corbett really gets around in that uh, arena. Also, I just have to point this out anytime anyone famous is from here, but he is from West Virginia. So his characters make me laugh even more knowing that he is from West by God and he is playing some of these characters where he is like new age, you know, long flowy hair, Mm -hmm. wears a lot of turquoise. And it's like, sir, I know where you're from. That's not the vibe of where you're from. Um, So, of course, he she says yes to the proposal and the ring doesn't fit. And, of course, he's like, not he doesn't even get past the second knuckle. Like, I feel like he got her like a child size ring. He couldn't even wear that as a pinky ring. (laughs) And immediately he goes into like, don't read into it. It's not a sign. blah blah. It's like, so are you a woo woo girl or not? I think that she's a woo-woo girl trying to pretend that she's not. Yeah. She's trying to be a chill girl when really she's like, oh, we have to break up. It didn't fit. Oh my God. You don't know. Me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I think is hilarious. Just this idea of, uh, which I guess, depending on who you ask, maybe that is a sign, but it's just like, maybe he just didn't measure your finger. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Another thing about that scene that bothered me was when he tried to keep pushing it onto her finger and she's like, ow, stop. Like, I'm like, what, sir, you're not going to make the ring fit me by shoving it onto my finger. Yeah. Mm, No. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. So (laughs) we have to talk about that weird, I don't even know if you would call it scene or series of scenes where John Cusack becomes truly unhinged and decides that he's going to use the receipt that he found by happenstance serendipitous if you will that he found that has i guess kate beckinsale's account number on it for the store that they were going to buy the that they bought the gloves at Mm -hmm. again already 
I feel like this, we are doing crimes now. We are doing hard crimes that if you read them on paper, out of context, out of your cute, whimsical context, you are stalking Kate Beckinsale. Like, he is for sure stalking her. Committing a crime. A crime is occurring in this movie. So he enlists Jeremy Piven because Jeremy Piven just happens to work at the New York Times. Uh, He writes the obituaries, but he still works there. So I guess that gives him clout and they decide to go to the store that they bought those gloves at to I get Kate Beckinsale's like the character's last name yeah they were trying to see what information they could get from her account number but it was so long ago and she like paid in cash or something whatever so then the yeah. dad from Shit's Creek has to oh, like Eugene Levy love him so then yeah like they have to like pay him off by like he somehow has to spend what is it like eight hundred dollars on shit and i'm like what is your job what oh, well, yeah. he does something for sports he like does espn something i don't whatever and so he has this like sports job but somehow gives him enough money that he can drop eight hundred dollars in bloomingdale's unexpectedly and then take the flight all the way from san francisco i think i don't know somewhere in california to new york city back and then back again and I'm like, what? All of these different flights and you're planning a wedding. I'm like, damn, your job must pay well. Like, I don't know how long a flight is to go from California to New York City, but does no one notice you're gone for these huge chunks of time? Yeah, because I mean, his fiance, because like at this point, you know, cause so at this point, yeah, like him and his fiance are supposed to be in New York City getting ready for the wedding. No, 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 no. John Cusack lives in New York City. Kate Beckinsale's the one that has to go there, right? Because she has to bamboozle Molly Shannon into going, right? Ruins her friend's birthday, BT dub. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Not that she just like tricks her friend into going to New York City. She tricks her friend into going to New York City under the guise that they are going for her friend's birthday. Yep. she didn't even reserve a hotel if you're gonna abduct me and take me to a different city and lie to me at least get housing for us what the fuck was the plan molly molly oh my god kate <laughs> yeah yeah it was fucking rude and yeah. so yeah like but once they're there yeah john cusack so he <laughs> the variety of things he does to like stalk her. Yeah. He goes, they go to get her information from like the warehouse or whatever. And then it ends up getting smeared from Jeremy Piven and Eugene Levy. <laughs> They're greasy little at each other. I, <laughs> and uh, in a scene that was honestly pretty funny. And so then like that doesn't work, but then, um, they keep almost running into each other. And then in the saddest scene at his rehearsal, his fiance gives him the book. Oh, yeah. Love in the time of cholera. What the fuck? That's what the book is called. I think that's a classic or something because whenever I worked at that campus bookstore, I'm pretty sure that was a book that was required for one of the lit classes. Fun connection to a previous episode. Uh, they made a movie of that book and Javier Bardem is in it. Oh, interesting. Interesting connection. Anywho, continue. Yeah. So (laughs) that scene really bums me out because she's like, I just, you know, I noticed you're always looking for it. And like, can you imagine if you just like thought your partner just was really into this book and then you found out that like, it's all about like the one that got away or whatever. So yeah, he's able to get her last name and her phone number 
Um, but unfortunately he acts, he, whenever he stalks her and is able to find her exact address and shows up at night crawling through the grass, <laughs> not a good look. And I'm poor Jeremy Piven. He sees Kate Beckinsale's sister just go into town with her very enthusiastic boyfriend. Um, and he's like, no, I don't want you to get hurt. And so they, they think they have seen Kate Beckinsale. And so he's like, oh, damn, I guess I got to get married anyway. Um, and it's just like, damn. So yeah, he, he ends up finding her exact address. Yeah. It was the early two thousands. I guess you could do that. You just, yes. and I would like to point out that the person who plays Kate Beckinsale's sister looks nothing like Kate Beckinsale. Like, really doesn't. like you think that this guy who is going to blow up his whole wedding potentially for a woman that he thinks like could be the one you can't, you can't see through a window. That that's not two different people yeah another brunette and i'm sorry if i've already gone through all this trouble to stalk you i'm gonna yell out kate or her character's name sarah like (laughs) i don't care at that point i'm already in it like i'm gonna see it through yeah i'm surprised he didn't pick up like a pebble or something and just throw it at her window or lift up a boom box i was just about to say my god (laughs) yeah i actually have not seen that movie we're going to have to watch it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So yeah, all that happens. And um, Kate Beckinsale at the same time is flying back to California. And again, somehow gets on a plane with her friend's wallet. And I, I'm assuming driver's license. And doesn't realize until she's on the plane. There's no fucking way TSA would have let her through just being like, oh, it's fine, girl. You can go on through. Yeah. Like, what? Because she tries to like pay for a pair of headphones. And when she pulls out the wallet, she realizes she has Molly Shannon's wallet. And it's just like, no, no, this is the most unrealistic part of this whole fucking movie. That only has cash in it because Molly Shannon's character is a bitch and took half of the tip from that ice cream restaurant. That's why she has it. Kate Beckinsale left a tip. So Kate Beckinsale accidentally, or I guess unbeknownst to her, has the the whichever bill, dollar bill, $5 bill, whatever, that has John Cusack's information. And she leaves it as a tip. And then Molly Shannon turns around and grabs it. That's like half of her character is that she's cheap. She like buys a knockoff bag and then she yeah. steals it. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. What a fascinating um, character. That's how we can write a, a woman character. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, she takes part of the tip. And so that is in the wallet. And then Kate Beckinsale sees it. But yeah, the idea that you could just float through an airport without any kind of photo ID. Yeah. This had to have been written before 9-11. We'll get into it. We'll get into oh. it when I have the behind oh. the scenes things. Uh, we'll get into it. But yes. Um, so she then realizes that one of the bills does have his info on it. And she just decides to, doesn't she turn right back around? Like she goes right back to New York. I don't remember. Does she get off the plane? Oh, she runs off the plane because she grabs the money because the flight attendant right. goes to give it to somebody else for change. And she just fucking grabs it and runs off the plane. Right, 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 right. Um, yes. And so, oh, right, because she calls Molly Shannon and she's like, 
I just don't even know where I should go. And Molly's like, I can feel it. This is it. This is going to be the moment. And like, what an amount of buildup that would be. And if you hadn't, they see each other in the end, obviously, but like, what if you just never found each other? She would have been really depressed. This would have been the beginning of a long period of depression. (laughs) Because what's going to be as exciting as this? Like she's doing something exciting, all of this stuff, trying to find this guy. It's serendipitous. And she's so excited. And then for it, just like, if it just falls apart in the end, damn. Damn. I do like that we get the scene where both of them decide to break up with their partners before they have found each other again. Um, Like Sarah, who's um, musician partner, (laughs) very preoccupied with his tour. Yeah. And, you know, John Cusack realizes, you know, his fiance is great, but she's not the one for him. And so I do like that we get both of them being like, okay, even if this doesn't work out, I know that I'm not supposed to be with this person. Yeah. Yeah. I do appreciate appreciate that. Yes. And of course the scene ends with them both being at the ice skating rink and she like throws the glove down and it hits him. Oh my God. Kelly just like, oh. (laughs) She's like inhaled with such a intensity. You know, I gasped. Yeah. (laughs) I love that scene. It makes my eyes well up. Oh my God. He's just laying, he's just laying on the skating rink. He had gone there at the end of the night. You know, he still just had this glove and he seems to just sort of kind of like, he's like somber. I guess he just accepts that like, it didn't work out, whatever. Like I'm never going to see this person. And yeah, he just lays there and then, and he's holding her jacket because she had left her jacket there. Cause these are some forgetful bitches, like relatable, but they're leaving their <laughs> shit everywhere. Um, and so, yeah, she just throws the glove. It lands on his chest and he looks up and, oh, there she is. And she's crying. And then he cries. Uh, and yeah. Yeah. And then they, uh, they, they kiss. They do the kiss. ice skating rink. And that's like it. It's a good kiss. Yeah. It's a good kiss. I want to kiss both of them. I would rather kiss Kate Beckinsale than John Cusack. I would kiss Joan Cusack before I kiss John Cusack. I think I'd kiss John before Joan, but I'd kiss both of them. I, I'd kiss not at the same time. That would be weird, but yeah. Oh no, I don't want it to be at the same time either. But as far as yeah. how I, I, for me, I think, I think John just seems like a little weirdo. And I really like that. Yeah. I think he is a little weirdo. Yeah. Anyways, we're getting off topic. <laughs> okay. Um, so so it should... oh, I was just going to say, I'm so excited about the behind the scenes. Yes. So we'll start with the director because I wanted to see if he directed anything else I'd seen. The answer is no. Um, so he directed Serendipity in 2001. Mm-hmm. And another movie that I just was not expecting to see on his IMDb, and you will never guess it either, is the Hannah Montana movie. Stop. Really? Yeah. Yeah. What's his he, name? Uh, Peter Chelsom. C-H-E-L-S-O-M. Okay. Yeah. Chelsea. And he also directed Shall We Dance, which I think is a remake of an older movie. It has Richard Gere and J-Lo and Susan Sarandon in it. But the rest I had not heard of. So uh, that's the director. Came out in 2001. And I think this is the second Good Housekeeping article that I'm referencing. I'm not quite sure whoever Good Housekeeping is (laughs) in charge of these, but I'm into it. So the list has 36 facts. I'm not going to go through all 36, but we're probably going to go through a good bit of them. 
Um, so John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale only met once before filming began. Like that's the, they had only really met one time. They oh. only filmed together for a few days. And like, if you think about it, they're not that's in good. that many shots together. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so strange, like to yeah, imagine. Like, why am I so into it? They were barely together just because the movie wants me to be into it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, apparently Kate Beckinsale was like super pregnant when she was um doing this movie oh at certain like in the beginning i mean i think she might have had her baby when they were filming but yeah um her role almost went to jennifer aniston oh yeah i I, I guess i could see that yeah um and also okay (laughs) i'm gonna say her actual name but i think of her as the mom from spy kids (laughs) uh carlo gigino yeah g-u-g-i-n-o she also came close to being casted for the movie which Mm -hmm. i thought was interesting she's so hot yeah for sure for sure this one is a wild one that just really kind of blew my mind this whole movie was filmed in the summer what yep well they must have been hot as fuck (laughs) yeah and gloves and hats the whole time yeah make a christmas movie in the summer don't know because it a later fact in here says that production was delayed at one point because of bugs like mosquitoes yeah um the little hotel scene where they're supposed to be running around in the waldorf hotel or whatever that's not even the hotel they're in they're in a hotel in canada it's not even the same hotel um so this movie was uh filmed pre 9-11 and two days after september 11th the first version of serendipity with images of the twin towers debuted at the toronto film festival and people like audibly gasped in the audience um and so they edited those images out so to answer your question yes this is pre 9-11 and it's actually one of the first movies i think that was like that premiered in new york city because john cusack said he was hesitant to promote it he was like i didn't know if it would be appropriate just in general yeah. but i guess people asked them to come do it there so well, i also feel like it's nice because it's like a fluff movie you know like it's a very low stakes like yeah movie. so like you know probably a good movie to watch when you're dealing with a tragedy yeah kate beckinsale also has been on record saying that she asked to hold off releasing the film for the same reason um and it apparently did not do very well at the time how soon after did it was it released to theaters a month oh yeah so like really soon um yeah so i didn't catch i guess i didn't catch this at all in the movie um the little restaurant that they go to is serendipity three what the fuck i didn't notice that either i've seen it a hundred times (laughs) Well, apparently the table at Serendipity 3 was renamed after the film premiered because it's a real restaurant. Like, you can go there. Wow, that's definitely some tourist shit that I would do if I went See, to New York same. Like, I want to go to the ice cream place from Serendipity. Same. I'll take you there. Oh, my God. Yeah, we'll go one day. We shall go one day. So apparently John Cusack and Jeremy Piven were childhood best friends, like in real life. I could see that. They had really good yeah. chemistry. Their scenes were really funny together. Yeah. 
Um, apparently there's some kind of inside joke that was left in the movie between the two of them because at one point John Cusack calls Jeremy Piven's character Gerald and that's not his name yeah, in the movie. I remembered that. I was like, what just happened? It's apparently a real life, a real life nickname that he gave Jeremy Piven and it's like, mm, okay, but it's Gerald. So what is, <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, it's just so random. What else? Her and Molly Shannon are very close which I think is cute. Yeah, they were really funny together. I love both of them. I wish I could be Molly Shannon's friend. Same. Apparently there was some continuity issues on the receipt, you know, like the whole bit about the receipt. So apparently the receipt is dated for 1990, but the pair didn't meet until 1994. And when they first met in the store, a man says it's five days before Christmas, which would make it December 20th. But the receipt says December 21st. Goodness so, gracious. Did not catch any of that either. I think because they would not stop talking. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I did not look at the receipt for very long. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see what else. Apparently the film is a big hit with men. Kate Beckinsale says that when she has men come up to her, a lot of them say that their favorite movie of hers is Serendipity. She's like, which is strange because I'm in a lot of movies where I like shoot machine guns and Yeah, I don't really even know what to make of that. I don't either. I just thought it was a a fascinating fact. My favorite role of hers is from Underworld. Oh my god. Celine. Uh Selena? Celine. Celine. This one I feel like is gonna make you holler. So not only did John Cusack's character famously spot Cassiopeia on Sarah's arm, but John's character in another movie, The Sure Thing, points out the same constellation to his love interest in that movie. Wow. Did yeah. he even mean anything to you, John? Or is it just honestly? <laughs> honestly. Um, apparently, they didn't use stunt doubles. So I guess any of the scenes where they fall down and stuff is them falling down I was about to say what if they need a stunt double for yeah it? I was like I think they fall down I don't remember yeah yeah they fall down on the rink um because John Cusack is struggling with it a little bit yeah um the director has said that he felt like he didn't follow like a sexist formula for the rom-com he's like there isn't a big argument there isn't like a breakup or an apology scene or anything like that and it's like yeah there was nothing they had a glove <laughs> they just wandered around together for one night and yeah. then undermined their future relationships for five years yeah honestly what was like your general like like how, what was your reaction to watching the movie how did you feel watching it tired yeah <laughs> tired and I hated it <laughs> <laughs> Like I honest, I wrote in my notes zero out of five. Would not rewatch this. The only time I would rewatch this is if you specifically came to me and were like, "Hello, I desire to watch Serendipity. Will you sit and watch it with me?" I will then watch it. But there is no scenario in life where I'd be like, "You know what? I'm really in the mood for Serendipity." Ever, ever. It was a rough watch. There was just a lot happening and not a lot happening. You know what I mean? Like these two had nothing to go off of on yeah. this giant quest for, I guess, love. 
And it's like, your options didn't have to be the stranger you had one interaction with or your fiance's. Like, <laughs> there yeah. are other options. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. What were your general thoughts? <laughs> uh- <laughs> <laughs> were they so, different <laughs> <laughs> so would you then say that you'd you'd uh <laughs> rate it zero out of five single black cashmere gloves yes I want to like slap John Cusack in the face with that with that glove zero out of five awesome shan't re- be rewatching that <laughs> I okay so overall I think I still had a good time watching this movie. Um, it just makes me giggle a lot. Uh, it's really silly. And uh, yeah, I think I think a lot of it is really riding on how much I watched this as a kid. Um, where, you know, my little brain just wasn't developed enough. And so I was like, oh my God, this movie's so romantic. And so my brain just, I turned this movie on and it's just like, ooh, romance, whimsy. It's cold outside. Like, I don't know. It's... <laughs> Um, but I also felt like there were parts of it that I was like, Ooh, yikes. Um, and there were also other parts that are just so frustrating. Like that elevator scene makes me want to rip my skin off. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, I think I would probably give it like, I think I'd probably go like half, like two and a half out of five. Um, well they're gloves though. See, this is how this is exactly the dilemma they were dealing with. Um, yeah, I guess I'll go two and a half out of five um black cashmere gloves. Love it. Yeah. So I think that's the same that I gave when Harry met Sally. And I think I probably had about the same amount of good time versus frustration with that one. See, I would rather rewatch when Harry met Sally than Serendipity. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, if I had to gun to my head, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you have to pick one or die. And it's like, well, when Harry met Sally, cue it up. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I also think when in doubt, make a rom-com of, around Christmas time, you, people will play it every year. Yeah. You know, it'll get advertised every year come November 28th, you know? I think that's probably why I watched Serendipity so much as a kid is it probably just came on cable like twice a week in November and December every year <laughs> on like FX or TNT or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Two and a half out of five for me. Um, a lot of that I think is just uh, from nostalgia and how attracted I am to Kate Beckinsale. So yeah. Um I think that I also was enough of a little baby woo child that um, there were aspects of it that I was like, wow, just like things being meant to be and like stuff like that. So I I do think that this movie influenced me (laughs) as a little child. So moving into another movie that's all about, you know, things being meant to be maybe or not um is the uh sci-fi horror movie nope by jordan peele um so tell me you had not seen the movie right no i had not and we watched it at your house together the other day 
which is why I wrote nothing down. <laughs> but yeah, no, I hadn't seen it. I'd been sa like I had saved it. And it was one of those movies where like, you know, you want to watch it and you keep saving it to list. But like, I don't watch horror suspense movies by myself. And so it was one of those things where like, I'll, I'll get to watch it eventually. And then I never did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I um, this is actually one of the only movies I've seen in theaters since the pandemic began. Uh, whenever I saw the trailers, I just really had a feeling this was going to be something to be really rewarding to see in theaters. So I masked up and went on like a Tuesday morning or something <laughs> and uh, we saw it and uh, I loved seeing it in theaters so much. I was so just like, um, like it was just a really exciting movie to see in theaters. So yeah, I had seen it before. And then since it became available for streaming, I've watched it a lot. And I also um, talk about this movie in a film class that I teach. So it's one that I like a lot personally, and I think is interesting, um, I guess, in a more like academic way. So yeah, we watched it together, which was very fun. Um, I I loved that. And uh, yeah, it's certainly a suspenseful movie. I have like a very brief little summary. Um, as we've said before, this is definitely a spoilers um, podcast. But if you haven't seen it... <laughs> Um, this is my like short summary of the movie. Um, after their father is killed mysteriously by a falling nickel, <laughs> two grown siblings, OJ and M, realize there's something hiding in the clouds that's hunting their horse. They live like out in the desert. Um, they set out to catch the object on camera, uh, the Oprah shot, if you will, to save their family business and ranch. Um, they believe that maybe there's like a UFO in the sky. Um, with the help of the local tech guy and an eclectic director, <laughs> the two learn more about the creature, not object, so they can stay alive. Um, OJ had been selling horses to a local theme park next door run by jupe a former child star who survived a deadly onset incident with a chimp when he was a youth jupe has been using the horses as bait to draw in and attempt and control and turn into a show this creature nicknamed jean jacket by the siblings after jean jacket slaughters everyone at jupe's attempted show the siblings are able to draw in capture on film and incapacitate the creature with a combination of cameras horses inflatable tubes a motorcycle and their knowledge of territorial animals angel oj and m all survive and got their Oprah shot. So that is nope, uh, in a nutshell. Um, but there is a lot going on in this movie. Um, it's one of my favorite horror movies, one of my favorite sci-fi movies. Um, probably my favorite of Jordan Peele's, <clears throat> uh, came out in 2022 and, uh, was written, directed and produced by Jordan Peele. Um, he wrote it during, um, the initial lockdown at the beginning of the pandemic. I have nothing to add in that department. That was a great <laughs> synopsis. Like I said, I had gone this whole time without any spoilers or anything. So I had no concept of the film except for the trailer. Like that was it. And so like as we were watching it, like <laughs> this sounds really silly. I felt like I truly was watching it for the first time, even though it was my first time watching it. Because, you know, like it's kind of hard sometimes to even not just read spoilers, but like see a meme that has nothing to do with the movie, but the way that they've used a clip from a movie, you're like, oh, well, that's got to be what the 
the scene is. So yeah, I really had uh, no idea what was going to happen. And there were definitely some scenes that truly creeped me out and it was scary, but it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't scary. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, to me, it feels very much like, um, almost like Steven Spielberg s like adventure movies, you know, where there's like, there might be like moments of things being like, um, scary or, um, like having like, thrilling or suspenseful moments um but there were spooky (laughs) but there were also just like a lot of moments that were really funny um there were really good scenes between oj and m their chemistry is really great um so the movie um like i said opens um well not not the opening opening um the opening is sort of mysterious you're hearing what you later realize is the onset incident that uh jupe experienced where um someone's fucking idea <laughs> was to have balloons on set with hot light bulbs everywhere that went off and made that chimp go berserk and uh kill a bunch of people i thought and- you were going to say bananas Oh man, I should have. I really missed that opportunity. That chip <laughs> went bananas and uh, ate a girl's face. And oh. um, so this film, like one of the main things that it really hinges on is this idea of um, like underestimating uh, a creature that you think that maybe you know more about or thinking you can control something that you can't. So whether it's like the chimp or jean jacket or the horses um, that they use for their business, um, there's definitely this like undercurrent like theme of like you have to like respect an animal and like what its rules are, which I think is interesting. I'm just thinking back, like visually watching it because we just watched it a couple of days ago. But I feel like um, they really <laughs> they set me up at least. I don't know, maybe other people didn't think that, but the scene with I don't know what you call them those <laughs> the scene where he punches that kid in the face. Yes, uh, Jupe's sons show up in like owl masks or something. Yeah. I'm not really sure what they were. Like, you really think you're watching one type of movie up until that scene? Because I was like taking notes. I was prepared, you know, like we're sitting down watching it. And I was like, okay, I'm still going to take notes. And that scene started to happen. And I was like, well, that's it. I got to close the notebook because I'm about to piss my pants. And then I felt like I was watching a different movie from from there. And then like it kind of flipped again. Mm-hmm. towards the end like by the time it finished I was like what did I just watch and I mean that in the most positive way like what just happened <laughs> yeah yeah and it's a really rewarding film to rewatch too like you notice a lot there's a lot of really interesting things visually that like clue you in to what's gonna yeah. happen later um I think that about all of uh Peel's movies I think that they're really rewarding for rewatches he loves putting little easter eggs and stuff like that but um yeah like initially when you see this thing like you especially from other alien movies that we've seen and like the kind of conventions we see in science fiction we think that it's a ship like that it's like a flying saucer or whatever and which is why when those little fuckers show up in the barn you think like oh like you know these are the little aliens or whatever like and their heads out all scared no slow motion Ooh, ooh, it was very um 
the strangers esque. You know what I mean? Where they just are like, yeah, they're like seamless moving. I'm just like, oh, I'm gonna throw up. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. I, I would rather you jump out at me than do like the slow motion move. Oh no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the many scenes that we hear one of the characters like say, nope, um, which is fun. Uh, And yeah. So speaking of uh, there was like this big fan theory that nope meant uh, not of planet earth. And that is very false. Uh, Jordan Peele said that is not what the movie stands for. Um, It's meant to be a reference to what the audience is thinking when they're watching the movie, which is, ah, shit, like, nope, I got to get out of here. Um, Which is referenced by many characters throughout the film. So it really is just meant to be like nope (laughs) like this is this is scary I gotta go um yeah and and that's also important to note because um there's also an assumption that like this thing is not of planet earth and Jordan Peele said that that's not how he imagines the the creature um he imagines it as something that has existed alongside people and that maybe has been interpreted as something else whether that's a UFO or an angel or whatever Um, so yeah, yeah, these things are perhaps, uh, earth creatures, things that live here. What's that? Terrestrial? Yeah. Terrestrial? Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of, well, I've told you about the TV show I've been watching for a couple years, the like Skinwalker Ranch on the History Channel. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's kind of like what it feels like, this idea that it's always, this thing has always existed and we just haven't been able to inter- like we have interacted with it without knowing but people have also known about it and they're you know what are you gonna do about it you know like yeah. <laughs> you know so yeah that's kind of the vibe I got the whole time but of course I didn't I don't frequent sci-fi movies either so I didn't have a lot to like draw off of Mm-hmm. watching it yeah. he's talked a little bit about some of his sci-fi inspiration um i definitely think uh steven spielberg was an inspiration there's actually a nod to et when the the the, the fist bump scene happens or an almost yeah. before that chimp gets shot in the head <sighs> um it's little hands sticking out and it's like clothed or whatever that was supposed to kind of mimic um like et images yeah Um, And again, this idea of this like cute little creature that you can be friends with, except just kidding, it'll literally eat your face, um, which primates have done when rich people have tried to keep them in their homes. So uh, because the kind of injuries that I don't remember her name, Mary Jo or something like that. I can't remember Sarah Jo. She had like a name like that. Yeah. But anyways, um, the kind of injuries she had are very similar to injuries that a woman had who tried to raise a chimp as like a baby and it got a little older and one day it freaked out and it ate, it ate her face. I mean, get a lot of animals. Dog. Yeah. A lot of animals start face first, like in general. As like they probably bird. should. I mean, it's because the soft tissue. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> um yeah so and and so this creature has likely been like full at least the way that Jordan Peele imagined it and what he said about it um we can kind of 
picture it just sort of floating around and just, you know, sucking up animals and people sometimes, but like people not really noticing it. Um, but what's different here is that Jupe, who sort of believes himself destined to do this, has been keeping Jean Jacket close by by using all of the horses that OJ uh, has been selling as bait to keep Jean Jacket there. And he has been for six months practicing it. Um, and, you know, at one point, OJ had mentioned, like, I think that cloud has been sitting there for six months at least. And so, yeah, Jean Jacket has been just chilling, eating all of these horses and Jupe has been getting the, the false idea that he's going to be able to control this creature for some kind of like show. Cause he's sort of like the, you know, out of work adult, like former child actor. Who dresses like a rodeo, like a, like a rodeo clown almost. Yeah, his his uh red blazer is incredible. It is wild the amount of like rhinestones on that man's outfits. Mm-hmm. All of them. Him and his wife. Mhm. Yeah, they were a very rhinestone covered couple. You know who was uh, originally supposed to play Stephen Yoon's character, Jupe? Who? Uh Kirsten Dunst's husband. Oh. You know what I'm talking that about? That man, yeah. Uh-huh. I can't remember his name, but at one point... Justin was... Dunn's husband, that's his name. <laughs> I, you know, I don't think he'd mind that. Um, yeah. But yeah, he was he was originally in talks to play that character, and then eventually it ended up going to Stephen Yoon, um, which then ends up giving an extra dimension to the character because then it it more so follows trajectories of some real life child actors who've experienced you know like fame when they're younger, but not the same kind of fame when they're older as white actors. Um, you know, like the actor that was in Everything Everywhere All at Once, um, the one that played the husband. Um, he had a similar story and has talked about how, uh, amazing it's been that he's been able to have this little renaissance in his career because, um, after he had a couple of roles in young adulthood, but like not a lot, um, But yeah, so we see this guy that like, you know, he's older, he's still trying to like, you know, I guess be famous and do something relevant. And uh, he decides it's to try to lasso this alien ship, which is I think what he thinks it is. (laughs) Yeah, it's like what a specific goal you had in mind. Seriously. And he calls it um, he calls it either the watcher or the viewer. Um, I have it in my notes somewhere. Um, but yeah, it's yes, he calls it the the viewers. Um, so yeah, and so speaking of, I just wanted to say a little bit about Jean Jacket. I think it's such a cool design, and I love that the movie really does like it. it it, it makes you there's almost like a bait and switch where like you think it's an alien ship. And I think that's really fun um, because the beginning part of the movie to me felt kind of like signs where you had people on a farm who, well, it's not a farm. It's like a ranch, whatever. Um, if <laughs> Whatever. And so instead of, you know, corn, there's horses. So, um, you know, they're like outside, it's at night, they're running around, there's these aliens they can't find, you know, mysterious things are happening. And so it's like, you feel like it's going to be a movie like that. And then just kidding, that's not a door. That slit is its mouth. Slit. I know. (laughs) Ew. That scene where they're all getting sucked up into the food tube throat. I don't know. I don't know. Vaginal wall. I don't know. I'm not quite sure what was happening. Yeah. Both felt terrifying and campy. You know what I mean? Like all at once. I really liked that scene. It was fun. 
Yeah. And that's another thing that's fun about rewatching it is that opening scene, you know, that you're inside the creature, like, and yeah. you're getting to look around in there. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the creature has like multiple forms. It looks kind of like a, a saucer with a big hole in the bottom where it's just hoovering up its prey and then vomiting out the non-organic matter um, and maybe making it rain blood on your home. Uh, and then it ends up like continuing to expand and fold out almost like curtains um, or like tendrils. So Jordan Peele and the people who did like the character design, creature design, whatever. Um, the person who, the people who made jean jacket, um, they were inspired by things like jellyfish, um, and also an anime, um, it's called like neon. Yeah. Uh, neon Genesis Evangelion, Evangelion. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but it's a, uh, it's, it's an anime that has these different, uh, really cool looking like creatures. And so one of them, um, looks kind of similar to jean jacket. So yeah. Um, and yeah, the movie kind of makes us wonder like if it's always been in the clouds, cause it uses clouds as like camouflage. So, you know, have these things just been like up there floating around watching us hoovering up horses. <laughs> Terrifying. Um, another fun thing about it is, uh, it makes wild sounds. So what is with all of these sounds that this thing makes? It makes popping sounds, shrieking sounds, whooshing sounds. These are all the different things the subtitle said. Um, <laughs> so, so it makes a lot of different sounds. Uh, it seems to make those like popping sounds right before it's like about to like eat something. Um, it also seems to have like razor sharp vision. I don't know where its eyes are, but like whenever it scoops up the motorcycle guy, but like doesn't get OJ or the horse, I'm like, wow, like the precision yeah. that, your, that your mouth, whatever your thing has. And when it like was unfolding into the little like square, the little green square, and it made that thumping sound like every time it unfolded. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. It felt very much of like the <laughs> whenever it happened, uh, one of the times I've watched it, I, I remarked that it I it was like a little baby mouth. It made me think of of uh one of the alien sequels where it has the little oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've only seen one of those movies. Oh man. If any of them, I don't know. I'm going to be honest. I get them in Terminator confused and I know that that's silly. They're two very different things, but I also haven't seen Terminator. So <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to have to watch the alien. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So it also causes electricity and phones to go out. So that's, that's a real bummer. Um, don't like that. So yeah, it has some kind of connection with electricity. It's terrifying. I have a question. Do you uh -huh. think that you would have put it all together the way that they did to figure out how to get it on film? Because mm -hmm. I'm going to be honest. No, me either. I would have been like, well, that's it. We did our best. Like my brain would not think to we need to reinforce this barn for the horses. Yeah. And never look up at the sky again. Yeah. We all need to get those little mesh uh, hats, not hats, but the things they put on the horses so they couldn't see. Yeah. Like we need to all put one of those on and hope that we make it out or maybe not. I don't know. 
<laughs> I'm not, I'm not quite sure. And so, yeah, with putting it all together, we owe that really to OJ. So, um, I love OJ's character so much. Um, I think that he is autistic. Um, I think we see him get overstimulated. I think we see how observant he is, how sensitive he is. Um, he, yeah. So I definitely, <laughs> uh, like headcanon see him as an autistic character, um, and then his sister M is much more like uh, she's a much more extroverted character. Um, I also think it's interesting that she has a lot more scenes that are reliant on like uh, like physical things. Um, yeah. So as far as like thinking about two characters, a brother and a sister, boy, girl um, kind of tropes that we see sometimes, you know, she's the one that had to lift up the heavy motorcycle. She's the one that was lifting up those heavy ass things to release the like balloon at the end. Um, she gets thrown up in the air and then lands and just keeps going. Um, and so it's like, there are, Oh, she steals the decoy horse, which looks pretty damn heavy. Um, yeah, how did she even do that? I mean, that I thing know. was like, it was very heavy. It wasn't like it was like a foam horse. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I definitely think it, I, I think it's really interesting that her character was um, very like assertive, um, very like physical. So I thought that was interesting. And also she was really hot and I liked everything she wore. Yeah, everyone was so attractive in this movie. And like the mm -hmm. lighting was attractive for everyone. Uh -huh. You know, like you watch movies sometimes and you're like, even if that person is attractive, like something's going on with either the lighting or the like the way that the outfit is sitting on them or mm -hmm. they've got them in some weird wig or you know what I mean? Like you or even sometimes you watch someone and you're like, I can't get out of my head that who the person is not as the character, but like as the individual. But I felt like this one the whole time I was like. I was in it. I was not, <laughs> I was focused. Yeah. It's a really aesthetically pleasing movie. Like it's just so beautiful. There's so many oranges, greens, and reds throughout the film. And that part of that was also intentional because, you know, Jordan Peele like was writing it while he's holed up in his house. And so then he made this movie um, that was very like, it's, it's primarily outdoors. A lot of it is in the sun. It's very like bright, it's colorful. And so I think that it was, that was another reason it was really satisfying movie to watch um because it inspires a lot of like wonder and like excitement um and he wrote it during a time where that's not what he was feeling um he was also heavily inspired by the clip that we see in the beginning in emerald's little like uh <laughs> speech thing that she gives on set. So, um, that person that we see in the clip of the black jockey on a horse in that, uh, very early clip, um, that was made, uh, that man's identity is actually unknown. Um, no one knows who he is and that kind of like haunted Jordan Peele. So he did research on it for some time, trying to figure out who this man was so he could figure out a lineage 
for this guy, like separate. This was before he was like making this movie. And so, um, he, he, he wasn't, he wasn't able to figure it out. And so he, it was a really satisfying and cathartic thing for him to write this character, a name and a lineage and to like, see what that would look like, you know, to kind of just like make that, but in this fictional world, which I think is really cool. Um, and I love the quote that Kiki Palmer says, um, I was trying to find it. Uh, she says something like, you know, since they were making movies, we've had skin in the game. Um, so, you know, we get to see like references to like black representation in Hollywood, both like on camera and behind camera, since we also know that they're the only, um, black operated, uh, horse company, stage horse company. (laughs) I don't know what it's called either, but that really made me laugh. I don't know a lot about horses. I'm not a horse girl. Um, it's like, oh, what business are you in? Horses. It's like, horses. what? What does that yeah. mean? <laughs> Working horses. They're stage horses. Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's called, it's called Haywood's Hollywood Horses. Yeah. Um, and you know that. Uh, so that that scene does a lot. Um, <clears throat> it's a scene that's referenced a lot later. The first scene that we see, like referencing what the company is, where uh, OJ is on set with just the worst people. All of them just suck. None of them seem to know that horses are scary and that you don't stand right behind them and that you don't fucking scare a giant animal like a horse. And OJ keeps trying to tell everybody M has run off and is chit-chatting with people. Um, And, you know, there's so much tension in that moment. And then, of course, the horse freaks out because that guy has the, like, reflecting thing. I don't know what the fuck he was holding. It was this weird, like metal thing yeah um anyways it scared the hell out of the horse because you're not supposed to like look a horse directly in the eye like that and so but uh, so scary it's so scary like why do we think that we can tame any animal that we cannot look in the eye (laughs) seriously it's oh i don't like it um horses scare me you know that i'm very scared of horses i think horses are beautiful and i respect them and i don't need to be beside them (laughs) so they i I, 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 want yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to have space. Um, but that scene does a lot because it shows us that Otis is very observant. It shows us that he understands how to like, listen to an animal and to like respect its rules. At one point in the film, he says, um, quote, I don't think he, this is him talking about jean jacket. I don't think it eats you. If you don't look at it in the eye a little bit later, he says, every animal's got rules. All right. We know what it wants and we know how it comes, which that did make me laugh. Um, and so, (laughs) and he had said earlier, it doesn't move like a ship. What if it's not a ship? And so he's the one that throughout, Oh, I love that line. And so he's the one that like throughout the movie is like, um, I actually, I don't, know if we are seeing this thing correctly um yeah. and then yeah he realizes it is a creature it is a territorial animal and they need to not only not look at it um but they can take advantage of it being territorial about horses um and the fact that it doesn't it can't seem to digest or, or non-organic material which is why unfortunately keith david gets got by a nickel in the beginning that lodges in his skull. Did you see that blood squirt out onto the window in the car? Yes. It was rough. That made me gasp when I was in the theaters. I was a little yeah. embarrassed, but I gasped pretty loud. 
when I saw the blood, I was like, oh, like I just wasn't expecting it to squirt out <laughs> like that. Yes. Yes. I know I said this when we were watching the movie. The honestly, I would love to watch the whole cast, not necessarily at the same time, but everyone who was in that movie in a rom com. Like I would love to watch mm-hmm. that. It would be kind yes. of weird if they were all in the same rom com, but yeah, that in might their own respect. In the beginning. <laughs> oh my God. What if Jordan Peele did that? He's like, okay, we're going to make a rom com. Everyone come back. <laughs> what if he just reworked the script and made it something different, but like it was kind of the same movie, but like yeah. made it into a rom com? Oh my God. Oh my God. Jordan Peele, call us. Wow. Um, Seriously. It writes itself. <laughs> So yeah, I, I I just really love OJ's character, and um yeah, I think that that scene oh that scene's also fun um, because we have a horror reference like a classic horror reference. So not the director, but the guy that walks up and is just like, "Where is the dad? Why are we stuck with this guy?" Huh. That is Oz Perkins, the son of Anthony Perkins from the Psycho movies, and so and then we also have like Keith David, who is an iconic sci-fi and horror actor. So I liked that. That, uh, pretty early on in the film there were nods to like classic horror and sci-fi actors so um part of why jupe seems to think that he's like destined to do this even though it is causing deaths of you know local hikers poor keith david um you know all the horses yeah he seems- He seems to, he seems to think he's destined for this because he survived that initial incident when he was a kid with, um, Gordy, the chimp. So, well, one of the chimps that played Gordy, um, I noticed that this time that they said that I was like, oh, okay. I guess the other chimps probably got fired. (laughs) Like a Mary (laughs) Kate Ashley situation. Yeah. They're like, (laughs) swap them out. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, I think that 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 scene that we whenever we do get to see it because we get to hear it in the beginning but not see it and let me just say hearing that loudly in a theater was really intense just hearing it but not seeing it in the beginning we were Daniel and I were both just like what what's happening right now like uh, um yeah so he is hiding under this table and he sees the girl that plays his sister, her shoe is just standing up in the middle of the floor. And it's something people have written a lot about. Some people have said like, maybe it wasn't even standing up. Maybe he just imagined that like in the trauma of it, maybe that's how he remembers it. Some people think it's not about how it's standing, but just the fact that it's, it's significant because he was looking at it. Um, because depending on, how the chimp was looking at him. There were moments that he could have been looking at the shoe instead of looking at the chimp. So moments of him not looking at it in the eyes, right? And like challenging it. Um, I also think like it having the tablecloth hanging off could have done that too. Um, but yeah, and then um, <clears throat> at one point, OJ asked the question, like, do you believe in like bad miracles? And so some people think that like the shoe is kind of like a bad miracle because it might have, whether it did or he just thinks it did, um, it has the significance of possibly like helping to save Jupe, whether it kept him calm, kept him from looking at the chimp, whatever. Um, but because of that, he then grows up to think that he has this control that he could have over these violent animals. Um, it's like when a like when a man says that he 
suddenly can hear God talking to him. And it's because he like fell down a well and thought that he was going to die. And like (laughs) some thoughts in his delirium and was like, it was, it was God. I now am his messenger and we should all move to a compound. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of the vibe that I got. And how fucked up was it that he had it in a, the the shoe in a shadow box? It was gross. And that weird room. Yeah, he had this sort of like museum set up. And I also just thought that was sad because it just shows the way that he also has to exploit his trauma to continue to make money to survive. Because even though he tries to talk about it with like some humor and levity, we see those brief flashes of him shaking under the table as a kid. And so obviously this has traumatized him and he has been forever changed by having seen that. Um, but he does say though, whenever, um, the show is about to start, he is turned around to where the audience can't see him, but we can hear him because he's mic'd up and you just hear him say really quietly, you are chosen to himself. And so, oh man. And it's like, uh oh, like them preachers when men think that they're the chosen ones it's we woo carnage follows (laughs) carnage follows i watched the star wars prequels (laughs) not the prequels wait yeah they were the prequels yeah 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 (laughs) leave me alone star wars fans (laughs) oh man um yeah so uh otis's dad also kind of sets up some of the uh I guess some of what the movie is trying to say um, because we get a scene with Otis senior um, where he says, I guess some animals ain't meant to be trained. And uh, he isn't, he is correct. (laughs) They need to leave jean jacket alone. And also that horse lucky is not fucking around. (laughs) Like that horse is doing what it wants. And I love that. Um, I was so scared that he was going to die when we see him in that glass case. And like that thing must've been really reinforced in the ground because that horse, it survived. And I just love whenever like jupe like he's so confident about it but then jean jacket shows up early and then lucky won't get out of the case and it's like of course he won't he's probably been hearing his horse friends get murdered once a week for six months well not he only sold sold 10 of them but you know what i mean like over the course of 10 months or six months or however long it's been since his dad died he's heard 10 of his buddies get hoovered up by this sky monster the horse is upset um so the movie also um talks a lot about spectacle and it opens with a quote that says um i will cast abominable filth at you make you vile and make you a spectacle so (laughs) the face of disgust you just made (laughs) um yeah. So what did you think about the themes and like of like spectacle and like what we will do for spectacle that we're in this movie? Oh my God. I feel like I just got asked a job interview question. Wait, say it again. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what you hate the most about yourself and why you want this job. Yeah. What? Tell me what you hate about yourself, but frame it as a benefit to us. <laughs> So what did you think about the way that they talked about spectacle in this movie and like what the different characters were willing to do for spectacle for them to be part of making this spectacle? Well, I mean, my God, the whole 
ultimately the whole thing at the end was that they wanted to get a fucking photo of it you know what i mean like that was like the end goal because you see that last shot of kiki palmer like she's both super glad that her brother is alive because like you see the shot and like the dust settles which was super fun Uh. the dust settles and there he was hot i wanted that scorpion king listen listen anyone out there who's listening i want that orange hoodie that he is wearing that's mm-hmm. is from the scorpion king when whoever was working on that cast i want it i want it putting it out to the universe serendipity serendipity if you're listening <laughs> i want it um hey god are you there <laughs> it's me, it's me margaret <laughs> but like you see that final shot where you can tell she's you know happy to be alive happy her brother's alive but she's also really happy to realize what is about to happen as soon as she picks up those photos you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. yeah like everything has changed yeah like live or die like I this this happened and I we got the Oprah shot you know yeah I also think and I this might just be the way that I interpreted the scene but I also wonder if her not picking it up before she saw Otis was meant to show us that like in the end like she got the Oprah shot but like she most wanted to make sure that her brother was okay oh yeah yeah you know like she because we see the shot before she does like she knows she got it yeah but we get to see it and it's a good one um And I know I said this when we were watching it, but I just, okay. I love this movie. I think this movie is beautiful. It's a masterpiece. My tiny little critique is that Keith David should not have been got by that nickel. It should have been one of those tokens for the thing that she took the picture with, because I think that would have just been a really interesting, like full circle in kind of a dark way. Yeah. Um, but in a way that I think would fit within the themes of the movie, if it had been one of those coins, because all, all we, we assume that it's the missing hikers that are mentioned at the beginning, um, that it's their items that were like thrown out and that then killed the dad. Yeah. Um, but, but like those hikers could have fucking gone to Jupiter's, whatever the fuck it's called mm-hmm. before, like, come yeah. on. Because yeah. then it could have been one of those tokens and then she would have had to use the same token in the end to get the shot. I didn't think about that. I think that would have been cool. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Um, no, I really liked the, I liked the movie. I liked the way it looked. I liked the music that was in it. Um, freaking killed me how loud Kiki Palmer was playing the music. I was like, ma'am, oh there, my are, God. there are horses out here. <laughs> I know she was really funny and she was also kind of a menace. Like if yes. she was my sister, I would have been like, girl, like, why are you getting the horses riled up right now? Yes. Reel it in. They're back and forth, like the brother and sister. And this really kind of cracked me <laughs> up because yes, like their energy both like matched well and was total opposite. <laughs> uh huh. Exactly. And it really was effective. You know how sometimes they do that where they're like, they're opposites, but they balance each other out. And <laughs> yeah. you're like, these people hate each other. I really yeah. do think they balance each other out. Yeah. I think that, I think that M made Otis feel more brave. And I think that Otis helped Kiki like slow down and pay attention to things. Yeah. I think he's autistic and I think she has ADHD and I think yeah. that they balance each other out quite well, <laughs> but and yeah, they they're, trusted they're each other. 
they do trust each other and, and uh, like they're so cute together and um the main actors have all remarked that they loved making this movie they loved the collaborative experience with Jordan Peele and it was also like a pretty small like intimate if you will set because it was made early on when like movies were able to keep being made during the pandemic so yeah. there weren't a whole lot of people it was smaller sets and smaller groups of people that were there at a time and and so they got to spend a lot of time together, just kind of in the desert, making this cool ass movie. So, um, yeah, they all bonded a lot. Uh, Kiki Palmer, I don't know if she was pregnant when making this movie or right after she shot it, but like at the premiere, she was like very pregnant. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I would hate to be pregnant in the desert. Oh my just God. Just in general. Yeah. It looked hot. <laughs> yeah. Exposed to the elements. I know. Um, yeah. And so another thing with the spectacle is that that ends up being the death of the weird uh, director antlers. So what a dramatic. Okay. Listen, <laughs> spectacle. Here we go. Okay. Now I'm vibing. <laughs> what the fuck was happening with his outfit? His death. And I understand why he had the camera he had, but the flair in which he cranked that camera was unnecessary. He cranked the hell out of it. Like, it was absurd. What did you say that he had on? Because I remember asking you while we were watching it. I was like, what is this uh, garment that he is wearing? I think that he was wearing, like, a dress thing and had, like, little pants on underneath it. Um, but to me, it kind of just looked like he was wearing a fucking curtain. Yeah, like a bunch of scarves that he had tied together. <laughs> you know when you like see like uh like old cartoon scenes and yeah a kid just ties together a bunch of bed sheets and shit to like climb out their window it looks yeah. like he took one of those and wrapped it around himself that scene um, in the little mermaid where she's like tied that shipping yes boat thing to her hip so i guess her pussy doesn't hang out because she's got legs now yeah and what did she think her pussy was but anyways honestly how did she even know what it was that would have been what she was investigating first. Yeah. She would have been like, whoa, now I got all these holes. <laughs> Talk about a horror movie. I cannot imagine. Like all of a Talk sudden. About splits. You're on land and you have legs. What's going and on? A pussy? Man. Man. Talk about a double whammy. Anywho. So yeah, Antlers, um, you know, he he we <laughs> don't the, <laughs> some of the only scenes that we see from him are um like whenever he's like by himself he's watching these weird like nature documentary kind of clips yeah. of like animals eating each other chasing each other and so I feel like this character was like obsessed at least to me I saw him as being obsessed with like the idea of like a predator or like I don't know if it was about catching those scenes or if it was about like being consumed or like I don't know it was just very weird that he's watching these scenes where like animals are eating each other and then it's like it almost felt like he like sacrificed himself to try to get this shot and like let himself be consumed and I'm like is that what you wanted like to be eaten by this like ultimate predator I don't know I don't know something about it just felt interesting and I just wasn't really sure yeah and I feel like he also kind of wanted to be talked about because you know if he got mm -hmm. the shot then people are going to always be like oh the impossible shot antlers got the shot 
Also, how are you going to know that the creature is not going to also consume your camera or that your camera won't fall from that huge like <laughs> height that you were at and just shatter? Yeah. I guess he was hoping it would be a miracle. Serendipitous. Serendipitous. And we don't actually know <laughs> if we were able to use any of the footage that he got. Um, that is very <laughs> we, true. We have no idea. But he does say right before he does it, quote, we don't deserve the impossible. And so I think for him, what that meant, what he was trying to say was like the impossible of like catching the shot and surviving it or something. Like he's like, we don't deserve it. Like I just have to die for this. I'm like, okay, dramatic. Um, but Jordan Peele, has, Jordan Peele has been quoted saying that he does not cast white people in his movies as like good guys or protagonists and so it definitely um it is like an intentional thing and so it definitely makes sense that the only like white guy really in this movie is this like <laughs> unhinged director <laughs> who's willing yeah. to fucking get killed in the most gruesome way possible just so he can be remembered for this shot yeah just insufferable like yeah and like okay Again, I loved this movie a lot, but one of the only scenes that I don't like, and this is a movie that's over two hours that I don't mind is that long. Like, I feel like it's paced well, well enough that like, I enjoy watching it, even though it's pretty long. <sighs> that fucking scene where antlers is saying the like one eyed purple eater, whatever that whole scene, cut it, cut it. <laughs> that scene killed me it was so annoying like I'm just looking around like hello like I feel like I was looking around for like an office camera to be like are we are we serious no and every time that scene happens I feel like I just dissociate until it's over yeah I didn't uh I'm sure it probably hits differently for people who know the song but mm -hmm. as soon as it started I turned to you and I was like is this a song that we should know and you were like yeah I was like okay um so I don't I don't know. I agree. I, I don't know if that was the point of the scene to like make you feel like you just zoned out for a second or what, but it's like, yeah, I really struggle with any kind of movie, regardless of genre that hits the two hour mark. Cause I'm just like, that is a, a lot you're trying to say in a, maybe a, we should have done a mini series. <laughs> oh, can you no? imagine if that had been a mini series? That would have been yeah. so cool. Yeah. I but, think more oh. things should be mini series. I agree too. I, yeah, I like a good mini series. Yeah. Um, and I, of course, would have loved to have more of this. So, yeah, if it can be a mini series, yeah. let's do it. Um, yeah, that was probably one of the only scenes for me that I was like, cut it. We don't need it. We don't need it. <laughs> um, um. I, 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 I enjoyed, uh, Angel's character. I think it's interesting that he, so the actor, Brandon Perea, um, he, he played Angel and there were a couple of changes that he made in collaborating with Jordan Peele. One was to make him more like moody instead of being like a, like a more of a comedy relief character. And I'm like, yeah. So that means that you walk out of a van and scream into the desert. Cause you just got dumped. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I guess you're moody like Edward Cullen is moody. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. I don't know. You're still reading kind of funny to me. 
Yeah. Um, and he also was able to convince Jordan Peele to let his character live. Angel was originally written to be killed and he sort of pitched it to Jordan Peele that he would survive and he was into it. And so they changed it. Um, so he ended up surviving. Yeah. Um, speaking of surviving Jean jacket is not dead. So some of the people who worked on the movie talked about the way that they were imagining kind of what was happening. And that's why in my summary, I said they like incapacitate it because it's more just that they fuck it up. And it seems like it is like, got to get out of here. And so, but it does not, they, they did not imagine that it has been killed and they're not even sure if like it can be killed. And Jordan Peele has also said he's not opposed to doing more movies based around this concept and i'm like give me a trilogy give me two more of these movies please my goodness oh my god yeah i definitely didn't think it was dead it kind of just looked like they (laughs) sounds kind of silly you know how you were told as a kid not to touch like butterfly wings because then they couldn't fly anymore you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) that was kind of the vibe that i got when we were watching it of like oh they touched its wing now it's it's like wounded you know what I mean it's just like like they poked it or something I didn't it didn't feel like it fully got killed yeah it they the, yeah the being Pam whatever it its name is <laughs> well jean jacket um, oh right jean jacket mm-hmm. and so part of why or the reason it's made that <laughs> the reason it's named that is because um yeah there was a horse that when M was a kid I think it was like for her 10th birthday or something for her birthday she was told that like I think she got the horse and was going to be able to like train it um and this horse was going to be and it was named Jean Jacket and it was going to be trained for the Scorpion King set which ended up being the first movie that OJ so Otis Jr. got to go to and he got to train Jean Jacket but we get to see I know betrayal we get to see like this quick little flashback and she was like you know dad never looked up at me but you did and so we see him like look up at her at the window and do the little finger eye I'm looking at you thing oh oh my god Listen, the first time I watched it, I was so stressed because like whenever we get to the end and it's like when Otis is trying, like he's like looking at the creature so that he can um, get it far enough away so that she, Emerald, can jump on that electric motorcycle and get the hell out of there because the TMZ guy has been hoovered and (laughs) (laughs) this thing is still hungry. Its slit is still open and looking to be filled. So... (laughs) whenever he does the eye thing and he like looks at her and she's like crying and then she goes I was so upset the first time I watched it because I was like he's gonna die like I was just (laughs) really I don't know I just I really thought that maybe OJ was gonna like sacrifice himself for M and I was gonna be really upset if they didn't both survive I didn't give a shit if Angel made it I didn't give a shit if Antlers made it I really just wanted to make sure that OJ M and Lucky all got out of there alive (laughs) that was what I was worried about so yeah I was definitely worried that we were gonna get like a really dramatic like he was he was he wasn't gonna make it kind of thing so I'm glad that we didn't and that it got to have like a happy ending question mark everyone lived it's the ending (laughs) but needed to live yeah they needed to yeah except that weird uh director and everyone who was at the star lasso experience yeah which (laughs) 
that was quite yeah. a scene. I know we've already talked about it, but it's just like, oh, I wonder if it was uh wet filming it, you know? It had to have been like there. Yeah, it had to have been. I would love to see like a behind the scenes of what it looked like when the people were being like eaten because you see yeah. them like getting squished and like, oh, the sounds were rough. Yeah, they were intense. For and sure. it seems like it really took a while for them to be digested. Yeah. So um, I think the last thing that I wanted to say was just that we also get representation of black cowboys and just uh, black people in the American West. Um, And I know there's different like films and documentaries that have explored the role that black people had in the American West. But I just think it's cool that we get to see these really awesome images of like um, OJ on the horse, you know, when the dust settles and like Kiki Palmer riding a fucking motorcycle through the desert. Oh, my God. Uh hot hot that scene oh my god hot like (laughs) so good um so yeah I think that it's I think that the movie um is a really adventurous fun but also like dark uh movie um but I also think like we've said it's very visually interesting and I think there's just a really lot there's just a lot of really satisfying things in it like whether it's seeing the characters in these like really interesting scenes or seeing how like it all comes together agreed yeah so okay let's rate the movie from zero to five nickels so sad I know I'm gonna give it five out of five um I (laughs) that's so fast (laughs) um I love this movie so much this movie I love the colors I love the music it makes me feel excited I love the chemistry between the characters everybody is hot I love alien movies and I think that you can really see how much Jordan Peele loves alien movies and yeah I just think it's a really cool movie that makes fun little nods to horror and science fiction throughout but also does things that maybe we wouldn't expect like the bait and switch for the creature or the way like how active and physical M's character is um stuff like that so five out of five I love it and have watched it so much Um, I would also say five out of five now again I do not typically watch I'm going off of rewatchability where I would watch it with you you know what I mean because I'm not going to sit down on like a Tuesday and be like I'm going to watch a horror movie like it's just not something I'm going to do and so I'm going off of what is the likelihood that I would want to enthusiastically rewatch a film with you and so this one yeah five out of five I thought it was spooky (laughs) and fun and uh I liked everything visually about it Kiki Palmer's hot in it. Everyone's hot in it. And yeah, I would watch it again just to be able to pick up on things that I didn't know about the first time. Yeah, for sure. Excellent. Also an example. Yes, very excellent. Also an example of queer representation in horror where the queer person does not die. Yeah, and no one gets fucking cancer. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing <laughs> tragic about Kiki Palmer's character being gay. Yeah. <laughs> excellent excellent jordan thank you thank you for not killing the gays yeah um yeah awesome okay so for 
our next episode, we're going to really be diving in to an immersive experience. We are going to Austin land for our rom-com <laughs> and we are going to Harga for our horror movie and watching Midsummer. So we will dive into both of those films next week. Um, thanks for listening to episode three, where we ponder if miracles are real and I guess, sure they are. And we will see you next week on I'll show you mine.